from the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Vincent Midgard, and I've got a great show for you today. If you're following the Infernal Council series, and hopefully you are, episode three is bounced and loaded and ready for human consumption, so make sure to check that out. Today's guest is a podcaster, writer, and lover of all things horror, sci-fi, and sometimes fantasy. He's the host of the Generic Podcast and also has some writing projects in the works. So without further ado, join me as we delve into the dark insight of Generic. Generic, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, we've been communicating back and forth online for a while, so it's good to be able to sit down and shoot the proverbial shit with you for a while. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. It's, it's always, it's always good to sit down and talk some, talk some different kinds of shop or whatever. So, mm-hmm. and, and thank you for being here as well. Cause I know how uh, busy you are right now. Yeah. The schedule's just kind of ramped up, got a little bit crazy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. So your tagline is all things horror, sci-fi, and sometimes fantasy. What inspired you one day to just say, you know, I love these genres so much that I'm just going to start a podcast? Um, so, I mean, a, a lot of it, like, um, you know, so I have, like, the the, the blog and the, um, I guess it's like a blog and a website. It, it's just kind of like a tester kind of thing. Uh, but we had to, so it's, I've taken this uh, creative writing class, and it was about, um, you know, just setting everything up for, you know, when you, when you get out of school and um, you kind of want to just like have like a reader audience already. Uh, and I had been listening to a couple of different podcasts and a lot of them is, is very specific to, okay, we're just going to talk about um, horror genre and film, or we're just going to talk about science fiction and like literature or something. Uh, same with fantasy. And so, uh, we had this assignment where we needed to start a website, um, or a blog in WordPress. And so I saw that there was an additional, um, attachment for anchor, which is, um, I I guess they work in conjunction with each other. I've seen a lot of people, uh, work with anchor. Is that a a host? Yeah. So I guess like, I I mean, I just like, I go on there and I like, I upload all my different content and everything there and they'll just, they host it and, give the rrs feed and everything okay uh anyway so i saw that and i was like well all right well i need to i need to do this assignment but like i also i want to i don't want to get just like feedback from students or whatever you know so i'll see if um anybody's even interested in reading my stuff and then i was like well this anchor thing is free so why not (laughs) Uh so i was just like okay so it's like I'll, i'll figure out what i what I want to talk about. And, you know, I've always been really interested in, um, those three genres, fantasy, sci-fi and horror, because a lot of the different stories that come out of those genres 
um, are often pretty intertwined. Um, I know there's like a lot of, like a lot of times when I, I bring up horror, people will say, oh, you know, like I love slasher films, but um, there's a lot more to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially with horror, you know, it can be like, uh, it can be super subtle and kind of more just like, I don't know, like a disturbing kind of, I don't feel correct mm-hmm. <laughs> watching this to, <laughs> I mean, something, something like, uh, just like completely bonkers, like, um, like the sadness mm-hmm. on uh shutter. I don't know if anybody hasn't seen that they need to go see that. Yes, definitely that try right to now. catch that while it's still on shutter. Cause I don't know where else to, to find that. So, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was. That, that's like the main reason i was just like you know gonna i'll try out the podcasting thing i'll try out uh blogging and everything and you know it was it was going well um i mean nothing has gone anywhere as far as um like deciding not to do anything i think it's just a matter of, of time right now and mm-hmm. everything's gotten like super busy so um i mean some of the things are, are on just on hold for now but i mean i'm definitely going to be coming back to podcasting and everything else so so I remember uh, reading on your blog as well as hearing you speak about the fact that you were raised Pentecostal. Yeah. Um, I was raised Assemblies of God, which is pretty similar to the Pentecostal church. And one of the ways they're similar is they both preach the uh, hellfire damnation narrative. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I was growing up, I was always told to stay away from worldly things, especially horror movies and the occult, because it was like this open door that would allow the devil to come in. So when you have authority figures telling you not to do something, you want to do exactly that. So I was curious to know whether you think your religious upbringing had anything to do with your predilection for the dark side of things. Like, was it completely organic that you were just drawn to it? Or was it, uh, I assume uh, in the Pentecostal church, they probably told you the same thing they told me is like, you got to steer clear of that stuff. It's an open doorway for the devil and so forth. Oh man. I mean, I, it's definitely a bit of both. I mean, I mean, the stuff that I grew up watching, uh, was like, it was like cheesy stuff, you know, like I watched, um, a lot of like kaiju films and, you know, like Godzilla and like monster X from outer space and like, uh, different kinds of like black and white horror films and everything. And, uh, I think it's like a combination of that. And then like, you know, like alien and predator when they came out, would like sneak those films. Cause that was like, that was getting into the territory of like the, this is too much. You can't do it. You know? And, and, and it's like, you look at those movies now and you're like, man, it was, it was scary back then, I guess, but it's like, it's super cheesy, yeah. <laughs> but you love it. Um, but yeah, I mean like the church is, it was always kind of a weird thing growing up. Um, I particularly didn't like it because, uh, a lot of the times when I would go, even as a kid, um, they would pretty much just say like, this is how it is. And like, that's it. Mm-hmm. there's no um there's no rebuttal or anything like that but for anybody who's you know just gone through and read the entire bible like there's a lot of like most of the stories in the bible are horror stories there's people going out and doing things and like terrible things happen to them um and granted like a lot of them are you know they're more they're more in the way of being like you know if you don't look out for certain things and you live a certain type of way um you know, you are putting yourself in harm's way. Um, but when you look at a lot of horror stories, I mean, they're basically doing the same thing. You know, they're just like, this is the setting for this story. These people went out, you know, and, and they just like, 
you know, they decided to go to this haunted house. Probably shouldn't have gone to that haunted house. And then terrible things happened to them. So it's like, there's really not much difference. I felt watching a lot of that stuff. I mean, am I going to go out and like stab somebody and like dress up in a, some kind of like weird costume or like do some other like depraved act? Like, no, like that's not what I'm, not what I'm going to do. And I think that's what a lot of the, the people that are like super religious, they're just like, yep, that stuff's going to like, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to have like 12 demons in you and you're going to go like, go like eat all the baby children and everything. And it's like, nah, man, like <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, so I mean, I kind of, I kind of grew away from it until I moved down uh, to Texas. And then, uh, you know, like if I have the opportunity else, I'll, I'll still go to church. Um, but I, I always like to ask like the why questions, you know, like mm-hmm. how, like how well do the, like, are these people just like reading a Bible and like following religion or is this stuff that like they're really practicing? Like they have like a, some faith to it, you know, like, like even some of the stuff, like if you look at, uh, if you go in the Bible and you look at some of the stuff that like Jesus had to go through, some of like the different trials and tribulations that he went through is just like, they're, they're horrific, you know? And like, but like, he's still going to break character, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you could write the most like absurd, most violent thing ever and still be like the nicest person in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's always that like stigma of like, Oh, well, if you listen to like heavy metal or like, you know, you watch, violent films or you like violent stuff then like you're going to hell and it's like i don't really think that that's the that's not the message that was trying to <laughs> be relayed mm-hmm. you know by like I, I don't think jesus was going around being like you're all you're all going to hell you're terrible people like no he, like he was there he was like oh you're hurt like let me help you out or like oh like you're having like difficulties in life well let's talk about it and then like somehow it's morphed into this weird like yeah I guess- very cut and dry kind of thing you know yeah so. i mean i i guess it it depends on uh the you know are you focusing on the gospels are you focusing on the epistles which were written by the apostles and every every church seems to have their own um amalgamation of different concepts that they piece together you know you've got the prosperity gospel that's all about <laughs> you know you do this you make some money yeah it's a it's a weird uh it's a weird setup when you get into it, you know? So, I mean, for the most part, I, I kind of just stay away from church, but like the, the whole like faithful thing, I believe that that's a little bit more important than just, you know, going to church and meeting a whole bunch of judgy people. Yeah. meeting being more uh, spiritual than religious. Yeah. Yeah. So I was listening to your second episode of the generic podcast, uh, where you were speaking with Tyler Geis And I remember a salient point that he made was how movies were a reflection of the times. And Mm -hmm. the example he gave was like in the 80s, uh, we had Nancy Reagan telling everyone to say no to drugs or you'll die. And then we were in the throes of the AIDS epidemic. So everybody's being told abstain from sex or you'll die. So in 80s horror movies, what was happening to the camp counselors that were doing drugs and having sex? (laughs) They all died. Uh, So uh, which movies were coming out when you were growing up that were a reflection of the zeitgeist of the times? Because I think you're a few years younger than me, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm, I think I'm 34. 34. I'm always bad with that. 34. Yeah. 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 Uh, Man, you know, that's that's a kind of hard question to answer because like my parents were pretty strict. So I didn't I didn't really get into 
watching horror films probably until man two thousand four two thousand three somewhere around there well it's not just uh, necessarily horror movies just any movies uh being a reflection of the times um well i think one so one of the the biggest ones is like so you had um like when columbine happened mm-hmm. you had like a lot of movies that were coming out during that time that kind of like i don't want to say they shied away from gun violence but i feel like they it's kind of like a catalyst right like i mean by the time i started getting into like films that i could really start watching that were in like the horror and sci-fi genre i think like one of the biggest ones for me um that was showing that kind of uh reflection of how humanity was at that point was would be the matrix mm-hmm. um that that one always really stood out to me because it's like you have just like over the top gun violence and it's like just in your face. And I remember like when that movie came out and everyone was like, this is the most like violent movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And like, you know, in a lot of the interviews, they'd always like, they wouldn't go out and just be like, oh, well, you know, like, we have all these school shootings and everything. And it's like, just like, you know, like with the one that we unfortunately just had here um, mm-hmm. over the past week. But I think that was kind of like a, that was an era that kind of started that like whole over the tops, like kind of super violent films. Um, and then I, I guess between that one and then Hostel uh, were like two of the, the biggest ones uh, as far as mainstays. Um, and then of course, you know, like I, I was always a huge anime fan as well. So that was something that I could get away with um, because it's a drawing. So it's got to be for children, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, to, uh, Ghost in the Shell and Akira are two of the films that I think are, are still very poignant. Um, they were then and they are now, um, as far as, um, you know, looking at where we are now and then being like, this is where we want to be in the future. And, you know, you have like all this futuristic, uh, robotics going on and you still have that like over the top violence going on in, in, in both of them. And then you have that whole, kind of question of like you know like what is it to be alive and to be a person um so i would say probably probably those four films during like you know like that like 1992 to like early 2000s era those those four always really stood out to me as far as like there's a lot of relevancy to them Mm -hmm. um and juxtaposition between real life and then what's going on on the screen yeah, it's funny. When I first saw um, The Matrix, I thought, you know, I was like, man, the Wachowski, well, they were the Wachowski brothers back then. I think they're mm-hmm. the Wachowski sisters right now. But I yep. was thinking, man, they are just, that's amazing to come up with such a crazy scenario. And then I found out much later that that's actually a philosophical <laughs> theory that we are all possibly in a computer program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that actually, I think, is kind of what spurred me into studying philosophy. Like my narrative fiction that I do, you know, the a lot of times the characters wax philosophical and uh, it's kind of a reflection of my reading habits. But um, I was kind of like you. I wasn't really allowed to watch movies. You know, I would sneak over to my friend's house. That's how I saw Pulp Fiction for the first time. Sorry, Mom. But uh... <laughs> so... Mostly what I dealt with or what I was consuming when I was that age was I was sneaking CDs of the evil rock music. And Mm -hmm. so I remember 
the 90s, the grunge movement was all about, you know, I think that's when the uh, latchkey kids finally started feeling that angst, that like sense of abandonment and uh, really started feeding into the grunge movement and the romantic, I always screw this word up, romanticization, is that right? Mm -hmm. Of self-destruction. So uh, the art that I was familiar with from, uh, from my coming of age was music because it seemed like it was easier to sneak CDs and listen to music than it was to actually get a movie to a television somewhere where you could watch it without somebody walking in on you. So yeah, you'd have to get one of those like little portable DVD players or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like... and those were expensive back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can watch, watch stuff that on your phone the... now, but back then, man, they were big clunky blocks that you had to take out a loan to get. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I noticed that two episodes of your podcast in particular featured authors that were writers of extreme horror, uh, which, you know, I kind of glommed on to the French extremist movement is my jam. Uh, Do you feel like good horror movie needs to have that extremity of violence or are you fine with something like The Witch where it's more of a, a slow burn that keeps you in a state of anxiety? Um. You know, I'm always more of like if the shoe fits kind of thing, you know, like if you want to take it the extreme route. So it's weird when it comes to like extreme stuff, like the more either it's either the more serious you are, or the more extreme you are. Like anytime you're going to one of those like absolute levels in a genre, as long as you're doing it well, mm-hmm. um, which includes like, so like, say if you're, it's going to be an extreme horror and it's like super gory, if the gore matches the tone and the reason of why that's happening in that narrative, um, I think, it, I, I think it'll work. Uh, but when like you have like a, say like you have like a super serious film, like the, the witch for instance, uh, and you took the, like if you borrowed some like the comedic value from like uh get out, it just wouldn't work, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like you're setting you're you're setting that tone. So that bar is is already set. Um, so I think a lot of it is like you get the story nailed down right as far as what what do you want this character to go through and what are their character arcs uh, going to look like, and then you you know you build up everything based around that. So yeah, I mean, I think extreme horror really. It can work in a couple of ways. I mean, it could just be like bonkers off the wall, just like, you know, you stab somebody in the cheek and they're, it's like a Mortal Kombat wound or something, you know, it's just like gushing everywhere for like no reason at all. And you're like, okay, it's extreme horror, but it has like a, a silly side to it. And then there's uh, the extreme horror, like a lot of the stuff that um, Aaron Beauregard is putting out. Um, I've got to check him out. I'm, there's some there's some scenes in some of his stuff where I'm like, okay, I gotta, I have to take a, a second. Um, Judas on it is, is really good at doing that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, the first film that I, I, I think I saw was, it was either saw or hostile, which like back then was like, you know, I just wasn't expecting it, but they have, they have like those, those like beginning scenes. And I, I think one of the things that helps, narratives along is the that beginning structure of like this is what you're getting into so it's like that's when you're setting the tone right um so if i sit down and i read something or i start watching something and i'm like okay this is extreme horror and 
they're setting up this super serious tone and then the rest of it is extreme horror comedy i'm gonna be pretty pissed off mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like i was like like what is this you know you get like a it would be like if you started a hostel and then went into like killer clowns from outer space was like the rest of the film <laughs> actually i don't know that'd be kind of cool <laughs> just just completely throw you off like what what the hell is that? it's instead of in, instead of in Prague, they're on a spaceship somewhere and they're getting turned into cotton candy and chopped up or something into like lollipops or something i don't know yeah if somebody makes that into a movie give me credit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. copyright <laughs> so I remember I talked to you about this a while back. Have you seen Martyrs yet? Did you ever end up? Watching? I still haven't seen it. I still oh haven't seen it. God. I was I uh, I've been doing this thing where like I so I'm putting out um, different articles um, on my blog that you know talk about different movies and shows that I'm watching. Um, but the most the the hardest the hardest thing about that right is like now like the amount of time that I have to like actually focus on other things is is so limited that. I haven't really been able to sit down and watch a lot of films hundred percent the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've been trying to like stay up and watch films uh, when I get home from work, which is at like, you know, 11, 30, 12 at night. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I have to get up at four 30 <laughs> to get ready for work. So it's like, uh, so a lot of times I think if I'm going to do that, it has to be uh, on a Saturday night uh, going into Sunday, Sunday is like my major homework day. So it's like, I'm still getting up for mm. 35 o'clock. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it's sitting in my queue. It's ready to go. <laughs> Actually, are you talking about your shutter queue? Uh, I think they took it. I think they took yeah, it off. Shutter, right? say, if it's yeah, in your yeah. shutter queue, it's no longer there. Unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I believe so. I, th- I think it was, it's on Mubi, M-U-B-I, or okay. I think that's the one. It's that one or something else. I have like a couple other ones that, um, surprisingly, my like my mother sent me a few of them. Like after my my dad passed away mm. uh, last year, and then like she got like super big into horror, which was like weird. She, like she hit me up one day, and she was just like, "Yeah, like I watched all the Aliens films," and I'm like, "Wait, what?" And then she was like, "Yeah," and then like you know, um. I started reading like some some Daniel Volpe, and I'm like, where, like what? I'm like, where are you? Who are you? I'm like, are you all right? She's li- she's been so, listening yeah. to your podcast. She's like, this is yeah. my baby. He told me, he told me to read this and watch this. Yeah, so she's she's been giving me uh, recommendations. I've had like other people that have been reading my stuff and giving me recommendations and stuff, and like wanting to get like uh like wanting to see what I think about it or whatever. So it's like I have like my regular watch list, and then I have another watch list that is like all just recommendations of like shows and books and all this sort of kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, like <laughs> some, some days I wake up and I'm like, man, I just want to like not go to work and just like get through this stuff. And then like put all this stuff out for everybody to, to check out. But no, like martyrs is definitely, it's up there on, on my watch list. Um, and that's, that's like one of the issues too. It's like, so when I went to go watch it, I think I like missed it by like a week. Oh yeah on shutter and because I, I was like yeah i was like i have time like i ch- chunked out some time and i was like i'm gonna watch because i wanted to watch that mm-hmm. and a couple other films and that was like the first one on the list and i was like i couldn't find it and i'm like i could have sworn it was on here uh-huh. um, so yeah that's a that's one of those movies where you know kind of like i was asking if you need like that extremity of violence in a horror movie for it to be good um mm-hmm. 
if I had watched that movie and it did not have that one part right at the end where, I mean, it literally lasts less than a minute. It's kind of mm -hmm. like in uh, The Sadness, where that virologist takes a minute to explain what's going on with what everybody's experiencing. I can't just yeah. watch mindless violence. It has to have a psychological element to it. It has to, mm -hmm. it has to make sense. And that's one of the things about uh, Martyrs, is after you watch it for, you know, I forget even how long that movie is, but you watch this woman get systematically tortured. And after a while, you start feeling bad about yourself. You're like, why the hell <laughs> am I sitting here watching this shit? You know, yeah. and then at the end, it's all tied together so perfectly with this beautiful bow. You know, uh, I just you, anybody listening, I just cannot recommend watching that movie enough. We watched a movie like what I was talking about, just kind of mindless violence. Me and my fiance, it was um, Frontiers. Have you ever seen that? I have not. No. Yeah, it's uh, what's, what's the sound? It's it wasn't <laughs> great. We didn't finish it. Uh, mm. My fiance was like, you know, I don't know if I can if I can uh, follow this through to the end because you know I liked it the first time I saw it when it was called Hostel. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you got a point. So. We didn't even end up uh, finishing that one. But yeah. while we're on the subject of violence, uh, can we talk about the sadness? You had a, a very interesting blog post on that. Yeah. Um, Anybody listening, check out his blog post on the sadness. <laughs> Generic yes, writing. Yes, please do. WordPress. Um, so the sadness was, was pretty interesting because a lot of the times like, I'll go on and I'll try and find a lot of... Um, foreign horror films i might not necessarily get to watch them at all uh, but you know every now and then like i'll see one and i gotta like i gotta track this down and i gotta go and see this um and so i saw a trailer for the sadness it was like one of the red band trailers and i was like super confused because it said it was out already and i'm like i have never heard of this film before and like i go and i'm like searching for it and everything and come to find out that it had <clears throat> it had come out the year before so it came out in uh, 2021 and uh it was going through different film festivals and everything and it was you know i learned that it was you know it's was, it was making its way around so i'm pretty sure i'm not the only one but i reached out to, to shutter and i was like dude y'all gonna pick this film up right and uh i didn't get a response from him or anything but like i, I just kept like you know spamming them i was like just can can you pick this up like i want to see this so finally they picked it up and i and i watched it and then um, so I already knew from the trailer that it was going to be super gory. Um, so I was on board. Um, but the big thing with the, with the sadness that really got me hooked on it is that these zombies are, they're still human and they're more human than any other sort of zombie film that I've seen. Like, it's not like the stereotypical, you know, they're not looking for brains or anything like they're, they're going to rip you apart and torture you and, and, you know, sodomize you or whatever else they can it's just it's like all the i guess like the i think the way the doctor explained it is like in the talking about like the pineal gland and like the different kinds of uh chemicals it releases and how it basically it boosts your dopamine to a super high level and makes you want to like do all all the depraved things that like you would want to do but you're like nope can't do that it's not right he describes it as somehow hijacking the limbic system, which is like your, oh, yes, that's what was which saying. is like your, uh, your regulator it keeps all of those base desires in check. And it just completely short circuits that. And then I guess like you're saying, 
makes it to where you kind of have the um the affinity for dopamine that an addict would have yeah 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 so they're just like they're fully conscious doing this stuff um and so like one of the first things that uh one of like the symptoms is like the they start crying which i thought was Mm. interesting so it's like i feel like maybe that's like some kind of like psychological breakdown where they're like no like i'm trying to not do these things and like you know like that like short-lived breakdown of like crap like i I can't fight this anymore Mm -hmm. and then they go into their transformation and it's quick you know Mm -hmm. it's not like you're getting bit and it takes a little bit for like the virus to run through and do everything it's like one moment you are a-okay and the next moment you're like ripping someone's head off Mm -hmm. and fucking it like (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) yeah like and and i think like one of the other things that really got me with that film is that I think they use less than 1% um, like digital effects. Like everything that they did is practical effects. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a, a huge fan of films that do that kind of approach. Like, um, what is it? Gorman used that. That's, an, that's another uh, movie on, on uh, Shudder. If anybody wants to see another one, I think it's called like PG or something. It's Psycho Gorman. Uh, but it's just like that kind of like, it's excessive violence, but like I never, it, it didn't really feel at any point where I was just like, this is hilarious. Like it's pretty chilling. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, like the people that like you don't like in the film, they get what's coming to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like the, I think the way that they portray the violence in that film is just, it'll keep you coming back if that's like the kind of stuff that you're into. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way about um, liking their concept of the zombie. It's not like they're the undead. They are actually still human. And I think the way uh, the virologist described it was just as it's overtaking you, they can feel the fact that they no longer have the ability to withstand these horrible urges they have. So they start immediately feeling remorse because they know what they're about to do right before it shuts mm-hmm. off. And then there's no more empathy, no more remorse. They just turn into raging psychopaths. And I still didn't get the virologist himself. Like what you were talking about, the the transformation is almost immediate. It seemed like he was in some sort of gradual progression. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that had yeah. something to do with him tinkering <clears throat> with the, the virus or... You know, uh, I think there's always, well, not always, but in ones where they start involving a scientist or a virologist or something, um, like, uh, with, with Dr. Perkins and, and Resident Evil, they did that where like, you know, he was messing around with the virus or whatever. And, and, you know, he wound up injecting himself and, and turning into like this abominable creature that just kept like mutating, mm-hmm. um, and so I kind of feel like virologists and doctors in the, in those kind of films when they're like either in a small team or like there's that one person and it's just like you have to start wondering. It's like, well, are they infected? And it's just like for some reason slowly eating away at him versus everybody else where it's just like going at him directly. Or is it that they're, they're like mental health is just depleted because of like they're just devoting all this time into something that they're studying and then like their you know their mannerisms and everything are just kind of starting to pattern uh the 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 same thing that they're fighting so Mm -hmm. uh i did sort of kind of get that feeling like i especially in that film like you know because 
you know, everybody's cognizant of what they're doing. And I was just like, well, his eyes are normal. Mm-hmm. So like maybe he has like a new strain of it or something, you know, especially since that film came out during the pandemic era. So it would have been interesting if it was something like, you know, it's like, this is the regular virus, you know, this is the regular COVID. And now we have a whatever version we're on now, mm-hmm. 6.2 COVID or something. I don't know what the hell they're doing now, but you know, it could have, could have been, could have been something like that. I think one of the, the scenes though, that really got to me in that film, um, was the, uh, the one where in the basketball court, he's trying to save that guy. Mm. I'm not going to go any, I'm not going to go any further than that for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. But that gives you like the whole kind of gives you the whole package of like people are into some weird stuff. And then also that movie is super violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that was another, I don't know if it's would spoil anything by me saying it, but that explanation he gave of how like in a normal uh, zombie movie, everybody, you know, you can pretty much tell who the zombies are. They're walking around yeah. looking like they're the undead, but the quote unquote zombies in the sadness they like the traditional zombie don't mess with anybody but non-zombies and it doesn't there's not much of an explanation for that in a normal zombie movie but in this it's like they only go for those that haven't turned or haven't caught the virus because they want the person to suffer and if yeah. you if you've turned not only are you not suffering you're enjoying it <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the kind of um, it feels like it's loosely based on that kind of like cognizant um, prey versus predator thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So like they're going after anybody who's running away mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, if they know that you're freaked out, like they'll torture you, you know, before they even kill you or whatever. Um, but zombies, most zombie films, like it doesn't matter if you're standing still running or whatever, like they're they I guess maybe they can just smell the virus on you or they just know or something i'm not quite sure but um you know in the sadness you're in that like cognizant kind of state where it's just like yep like you said you know like we're here to and we're just going to torture everybody and have fun with it and you know maybe leave you to, to get turned or something but um yeah i mean it's it's just a completely other kind of ruthless zombie that like i i have personally not seen before so mm-hmm. um I'm kind of curious as to how the virus works, though, because like I don't think at any point in time I saw someone get bit and then they turned. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be something either. Maybe blood it's born? either. Yeah, it's got to be bloodborne or um, airborne. Airborne. Yeah. So pretty, pretty aggressive virus. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So you also had a write up on the platform which was mm-hmm. a very interesting movie. Uh, again, listeners, check that out. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on um, just the, the premise in general? Um, well, I guess it was, so it was, it was supposed to be like a kind of jail, and like if you go in there, your sentence gets reduced uh, as just 100% just bizarre. <laughs> like, I don't... I, I don't see how a system like that could um, help correct anyone's behavior if anything it's uh and reinforcing yeah it's just reinforcing all like the depraved behavior of people um so as far as like an aspect of real life like if they were to i don't think they would ever do anything like that well plus i mean you can't have a floating platform right like that just 
that that was bizarre in and of itself. Um, but I think one of the things that uh, that really stood out to me about that film um, is a lot of what I talk about in my blog post as well is the exploration that that takes, right, and, and how it explores the different characters and what they're going through. But a lot of that film just doesn't make sense. Like they're like, Oh, there's not supposed to be a little girl in here, but yet there is. And it's just like, well, if they were going to put you in there. They had to gas you. Right. Because that's how they move you around all the different levels. So they, they put that gas in there and then they move you around, which is like, who knows how they even get in there because it seems like the only way to do that would be riding the platform up and down. Yeah. Unless there's like some secret doors that, nobody has found or whatever if it's like something like the cube um but it was as far as like the 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 practical side of it goes like i just don't think it would um it wouldn't hold up (laughs) (laughs) like it you know if if i remember correctly was it like it was some sort of societal experiment right it wasn't a penal institution per se Mm -hmm. it was not only a study but it was also i think you could get a degree which just seems odd. Yeah. I guess because so, you're taking part of a study. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the, the main character. Um, I don't remember his name. Now. I think it was like Gregor or something. That's definitely not his name, but we're going to call him Gregor because my sure. memory is terrible. Um, so he, when he's sitting there and he's talking to his bunkmate, like the, the first one that he has, and he's just like, yeah, you know, like uh, I got put in here um on my own volition um and they told me that they'll reduce my sentence um and i have the opportunity to get a degree so like Mm. i was always trying to figure out what the hell what is he talking about like the degree but i guess that's just from whatever kind of experiment that they're running but the other guy he gets pissed off because he's just like well i'm in here for murder and they didn't give me that option so it seems like some of them are volunteers and some of them are not like that lady that went in um and she's like, you know, I've worked with the with this place for 16 years and now I'm in here. And, you know, she just she has no idea what the hell is really going on in there. Like, she's just like filling the paperwork out and being like, oh, you know, like these this is what it's like in there. Like, you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah. So I did think it was interesting. that it's like some of the people that are in there are in there voluntarily. Like you said, like not everybody is in there because of the penal system you know they're they're in and they're doing this whole experiment um which is a, which is also kind of weird because you never see anybody actually watching them uh it's just the whole experience of what's going on inside of uh the platform areas so yeah it doesn't really explain the surveillance because whenever they do something they're not supposed to you know they suffer consequences you know right. uh without giving it away they affect the environment in an untoward way yeah. that, uh, badly enough that they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Get rid of this. Yeah. So. But there's no cameras. So it's like, yeah. how do they know? I mean, I guess if you got a floating, <laughs> a floating platform, <laughs> you can have these ethereal surveillance cameras. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It makes me wonder what the rest of the, like if they have something like that, like what is the rest of that world? Like, I mean, I, I know that's not something that they're, they're ever probably going to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's probably got to be some kind of like oddly advanced civilization where they're doing something like that. Cause like really the only outside look that you get is the cooks cooking everything. And then that one lady and that's it. Everything yeah, that's else. Is- what, that's what I wondered about the cooks is, are they part of the experiment or are they part of the you know research team? Whoever's performing it. Right. Cause I, I, don't know. I assume <laughs> 
whether they're part of the experiment or not, they represent the top 1%. The food, basically, mm-hmm. basically food is king in that experiment. Yeah. Uh, so the people that own the food, I guess they represent the top 1%. And as it goes down, it's just, it's the class system until you get all the way down at the bottom where people are just starving and resorting to all sorts of horrible yeah. things. Yeah. But how I mean, did the really... kid get in there? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how the kid got in there. I mean, like I said, I mean, they have to gas you and put you in there. Mm-hmm. And so unless that lady was in there and somehow managed to have a kid with somebody and like go through all of that and then raise a kid to how, you know, however old that, that kid is. Um, Wasn't there a time limit on that though? A time limit to how how long long you could be on there. Yeah. How long you could be in there. Like, I don't think I ever heard anybody refer to being in there for longer than a year. I could be wrong though. I think there was, I don't know that it was a year or not. So I don't want to, I don't want to say like a definite time, but yeah, like they're just like all these like weird kind of coincidences that it's just like, Oh, it's like, she's just, she's like, if you're looking at the stuff that kind of like makes like the film weird and like not so great. Yeah. Like that's, that's definitely one of them. It's like the, the kid is a crucial part and it's like, I know they had to work them, the, the kid in there uh, somehow, but also mm-hmm. <laughs> all the other rules that they, they put forth to get that kid in there. Just that it's very confusing yeah um but there is that whole thing of like the class system uh, that you mentioned as well where it's like you know and they even mention it and when he you know he's talking to the to his bunk mate and he's he asked him he was just like why would you spit on their food or whatever and you know like then he's like taking a piss or whatever and then, like doing all this other like nasty stuff and he's like why should i care he's like they're below us like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. so you know it's like at the top you know you have like this like insanely michelin star restaurant kind of style run by like a spanish gordon ramsay <laughs> <laughs> just like yelling at everyone for perfection mm-hmm. uh and then you know like the, the it just gets lowered and and you know like the first people you know it's first come first serve and they're like you know like they get like the finest food and then like as it goes down yeah it's like the lower you are societally like the less that you have right and- um What's funny is it's not like these people remain at the top. Mm-hmm. They go to the bottom and then they come back up. So all of these people at some point have known what it's like to be at the bottom. But yet when yeah. they get to the top, they still treat the people at the bottom like shit. Yeah. And unfortunately, I would say that's kind of accurate mm-hmm. as the way the world operates a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think there's I mean, there's some people I would say very few, you know, like if you're going to look at the way like the film is set up and then like look at society, I mean, you're talking about people that are like coming from like the hood or, you know, like some, some place where there's just the likelihood of you making something of yourself is, is, is slim. Like you're probably just going to die there. Hmm. Right. And so then you get wrapped up in this like glamorous over the top kind of lifestyle and you just kind of lose yourself, right? And you don't become the same person. You're like, oh, well, like, screw all those people. Like, you know, why am I going to hang out with, you know, somebody that, you know, doesn't make as much as I do or can't afford to go on like these, you know, luxury trips, this, that, or the other thing. Um, and then, you know, they get like the kickback where it's like, now you're not making as much or like, oh, like, you know, now you're not relevant. Like you put out like two good albums and they were really good hits. And then you put out three mm-hmm. shitty ones and, 
now no one cares about you. So it's like back to the slums you go. And it's, mm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of that film, you know, even if they didn't have that whole plot point with the little girl, like they could have, they actually could have done without that and still wrap that film up, um, pretty nicely. Um, I do get like the message that they were trying to get with that. Um, but like, even if you didn't have that on there, that whole kind of, um, examination of, of society and, and how people really just like forget where they are based on their environment. Mm. Um, that really, that's one of the reasons why I was, I, I was like, I got to write something on this because it, it's more than just a horror movie, you know, it's, it, and it's more than just your, your average like sci-fi film, you know, that they, they're really taking like a pretty deep dive look into how society acts and, and how people react to things. So, so uh moving back to your um podcast um on one of your episodes extreme horror writer Aaron Beauregard spoke about the fact that even though his content is dark and disturbing it's actually helped people by being cathartic and in one instance actually got a war veteran who never spoke due to PTSD to actually say the words holy shit you know after <laughs> after reading I, I guess a particularly fucked up scene in one of his novels Mm-hmm. And uh, not long after that, I was listening to your episode on mental health. And mm-hmm. with regard to depression, do you feel that writing or, you know, even consuming dark subject matter is beneficial to your mental health as well as your readers by being cathartic? Or do you feel that it can sometimes have the opposite effect? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's this whole thing of like journaling or, you know, get like getting your, your feelings out on paper. And it's like, even if you're, you know, even if you're not talking to anybody about how you're feeling, you know, like, and I, and then I would say like at a certain point, like, yeah, like, you know, like if you're really that close on the edge and stuff, you know, yeah, like go and talk to somebody. Um, but I think a lot of the times, especially now in like the, the society that we live in, it's all like a very fast pace, like give it to me now. I don't want to wait. Um, this is how you have to dress. This is how you have to talk. This is, you know, like these are the the friends that you're going to hang out with. And it's all this like very kind of veiled, rigid social system that we have to go through. Um, and it really, it, yeah, it beats down on people. Um, and I think for somebody to say like, they haven't had any kind of like violent thoughts before, um, or, you know, like they have a lot of anger and they don't know how to express it. It's just the writing your feelings down that way or what you're experiencing um, is like the first step into kind of like self-help in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if you can take those frustrations and shape them into different characters and put them through the throws and everything, even though you're telling a story to everybody else, I mean, you could put your emotions in there and sort your emotions out while you're writing that um, kind of material. And a lot of the times, you know, even when you're not writing horror, you know, there's been people that I've talked to that, you know, they write dramas or, um, you know, comedies or, um, romances. It's like a lot of that stuff, you you know, you're not going to sit down and write anything and not have, um, some semblance of who you are, um, not appear in the writing, uh, Mm. you know, so it's like, even if it's something that like, you know, if it wasn't bad and if it's something like, maybe it's like a happy memory that you have. Um, maybe, you know, for instance, like if somebody went swimming, right. Swimming is a really good kind of topic to explore for this. Right. So say if you go swimming 
you have a really good time and, uh, you know, like your friends were there and everything. And if you start writing and you're making stories at some point in time, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, oh, well, 50 to 60% of what I wrote, there's either they went swimming with their friends or they really like to be in the water. There's going to be some kind of like positive, um, attribute and you're writing to water that's attributed to that. Whereas like, if it's negative, you know, like, Oh, you know, like I went swimming and I almost drowned or like, you know, uh, I got like bit by a shark or something, or, you know, I had some kind of like traumatic experience, like that kind of stuff is going to follow you too. And will some way, um, wind up back in your writing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways like writing is just super cathartic, whether you're going to be sharing with people or not. Um, so, I mean, like, even if it's not something that is directly related to something that you've experienced, it might just be something that you've seen. So, yeah, uh, I think writing, writing for everybody is, is super important, even if you're not going to put a story out there or publish it or anything. It's a, it's a way for, it's a way for you to just, you know, you, you're, you're not looking at anything at the internet, you know, you're not, you're not on your phone. Um, you're not getting like stressed out by like the crazy people in society. You know, it's just you in the paper or the screen and typing and just like relaying, you know, like what's, what kind of emotions you have going inside you. And I mean, even if it's something that's just like completely incoherent where it's like, you could look at it and read it and be like, I understand what's going on in this mm. versus like if somebody else read it and they were just like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about kind of thing. Um, yeah, the writing is super important. And then when you get to the point where you start sharing that kind of stuff, yeah, like what you're saying, like with the veteran who like he never talked before and then he was reading it. Um, it's that whole emotional factor. And it's like, we all to a degree experience the same things, not in the exact same way, but I mean, a lot of the life experiences that we have are not unique to ourselves. So, you know, especially with veterans, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, they, they just don't talk about. Like my father, he worked for the VA and he worked with a lot of veterans and some of the things like, I, like I remember like sitting down and talking to some of them and they'd be telling me a story and it, it was some of the stories they told me were intense and then they would get to certain points and they would just like blank out and stop talking. And it was like, I could tell that the story was still going on in their head, but they had just gotten to a point where they're like, this is like, it's so traumatic and they've never spoken about it before. Mm -hmm. Um, so then it's like, they're they're just kind of like give life to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you could tell that it's like, they're ready to talk about it, but then it's like, they're also like, they're talking to a little kid and they're like, I don't, I don't want to tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> you know so uh yeah i think a lot of a, a lot of it you know it's just understanding that a lot of the the experiences that we have are similar or are enough to spark um other emotions in people which give way to them either you know thinking about things in a different way um or trying to approach some of their problems in a different way um you know, sometimes, especially when you're going into the extreme horror stuff, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I've seen it all kind of thing, but like, I had never expected something like that or to read something like that. And it's like, you know, that's the, they react to that. Like, oh shit, the kind of reaction it's like, I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've had similar reactions when I've, I've read, um, some stuff from some various extreme horror authors, um, 
I also, I don't have PTSD. So I like, I don't know exactly what it is that he read that got him to do that. But you know, he had a, he had a reaction and I would guess that it's positive. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's, 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 I think that's one of the more important things when people are reading, you know, if, if you could pick up somebody's book and read it front to back and not have any reaction whatsoever, um, either that is not for them or you just didn't do a good job telling the story. Yeah, I um I wholeheartedly agree as far as it being cathartic. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I write and podcast is extremely dark and I don't know how it is for people that consume it, but when I am putting it out there, it's enjoyable, which is weird considering <laughs> some of it, but just it's like just purging this stuff out of you. And yeah. um you know, one of the main reasons I took up podcasting is for my own PTSD from my job. It's mm-hmm. uh very, it's cathartic as well as therapeutic. And uh, it's funny, literally yesterday, I got a message from a listener that uh, hadn't commented on any of my stories or posts for a while that used to do it uh, mm-hmm. quite often. And she was telling me how she had to take a break from dark content, like not just... Mm-hmm. It, it was not just mine. It was other stuff. You know, I'm not sure what it was, whether it was books or movies or so on. But uh, she was like basically saying, hey, I'm sorry about the radio silence, but I've had to like just go cold turkey because I guess paraphrasing, I think she was trying to tell me it had all started to kind of crush her soul. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it depends on the person like me personally. I had to uh, quit watching the news and quit listening to political podcasts because I started that. The I used to never listen to anything like that. And then the pandemic hit and I started and mm-hmm. I must have done it for close to two solid years. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? There's nothing I can do about any of this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to stop ruminating on it. And uh, so I can kind of appreciate what she's going through in relation to that material. But uh, I recently saw uh, you haven't seen Vortex, have you? The new Gasper in a way. No, I, I think you you had sent me a message about like watching it or something. And uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah I don't uh, know. Did you watch it in theaters or is it is yeah, it out on theater? In theater, okay. Yeah, I think it just uh, just got released here in the U.S. But uh, you know that is a hard movie to watch as far as you know this elderly couple succumbing to dementia uh, and heart problems and all of this and and the the struggles of the son and the grandson dealing with it like there was one point where i damn near cried um mm-hmm. but it didn't crush my soul you know like i that in itself was cathartic because it was a realistic portrayal of life right. uh, and it was so realistic you know like whenever People talk about Alzheimer's or dementia and stuff like that. They'll talk about the mom that forgets her son's name or mm-hmm. or the one that gets lost in the neighborhood and can't find her way back to her house. But right. they don't talk about when your mom or your father, something in their brain chemistry gets tweaked to where they start having like hypersexual urges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it's not dignified. Right. It's something people just, oh, no, I don't even want to think about, you know, and I mean, he has a little bit in that. So, I mean, he didn't hold back. He covered all aspects. Right. So, um, yeah, I can't say that consuming dark content uh, is bad for me unless it's political. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try to stay. I, I mean, 
I mean, you know, from coming on, um, the generic podcast, like, that's like one of the only things is like, I tell all my guests, I'm like, no hate speech and no political stuff. And those are like literally the only two things. Like, I don't like, you can talk about literally anything else. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like, as, like, like I took, I took a break from, well, I shouldn't even say a break because I'm probably never using it again unless, you know, I, somebody's like, you need it for, you know, your, your content or whatever. But like, I stepped away from Facebook, um, mm. because it was just, that was like during the whole, um, Black Lives Matter thing. Um, and it's, it, it's a, there was a very strange thing because like I'm, uh, I'm mixed. So I'm black and I'm white. Um, so a lot of people either think I'm white or Spanish. Um, and so, like, I've had people say some, like, off-the-wall racist stuff to me before, and they're like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> God. uh, no. <laughs> 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 like, I like, you know, like, I don't, you know, I like, you know, even if I wasn't, you know, raised um, Protestant, you know, I would still want to be accepting of everyone, you know? Like, so, mm-hmm. like, when people you know, started getting into that kind of stuff. And it was just like, I, I would go on and it's just like, oh, well, you'd have white people attacking, you know, black people on threads and vice versa. And then it would go like somehow, like somebody would say something about, you know, like the gay community or like LGBTQ and everything like, and I'm just like, how do you even devolve into these like random conversations about like, especially with people of color, it's just melatonin. It's an evolutionary trait. And so like you get into like all these like weird baseless conversations and, and it's just like, these are things that like nobody face to face would ever have, you know? And it's like, so then I was just like, I'm going to take a break from that. And then, yeah, you man. know, then you have Twitter is probably just as bad, you know, without like everything either has to be politicized or like, you know, you're talking into like this echo chamber where it's like somebody will says something and then everybody else agrees with them. And that other, like that, like one other person is like, well, actually like, can we look at it in a different lens? And everyone is like, I hope you get hung by your intestines and like, fuck your family. And like, you you damn idiot. And by the way, here's their address. And it's like, dude, like, why are you guys so angry? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, The the fact that you're so far removed from these people, yeah, it just brings out the worst in people. It's like because I'm not standing in front of you and I don't know you personally, and yeah. I will probably never see you in real life. I feel no compunction about saying some of the most horrific fucking shit I've ever <laughs> said to a human being in my life. And if you're hidden completely, like you have the anonymity of a handle that's not even related to your name, God help mm-hmm. you, the kind of messed up shit you say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's weird how uh, it's almost like social media, the minutia of interacting with somebody over social media just completely short circuits your limbic system, like in the sadness where you're just yeah. like, all of a sudden, <laughs> all that fucked up shit that goes on in my head. I just want to spew to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty good comparison. I mean, like some of the stuff that I've seen on there is like, you know, I've I've unfriended people before and like, they'll reach out and they'll be like, how you like took me off of all your platforms. I'm like, yeah, man, like I've known you for years and you've never said anything like that before. And then, you know, you went on and said something and like people started asking you about it and like, you just kept attacking them. Like, I don't know that person, you know? And so like that whole sense of like, well, I'm removed and like, you know, like this isn't even my real name and, you know, I can say whatever I want. And it's just like, I mean, yeah, 
you can, but like the screen you're looking at is there's like another person behind there. And so like you, you can't, like, you got to treat everybody with respect and kindness at the end of the day. You're not you playing know? a video game. <laughs> right. You know, if I'm playing a game and I like blow your face off or something and I tell you to suck it, like that's, that's probably just because, you know, that's the whole like kind of like gamer culture thing. But like after that, I'm probably going to tell you that like we had a good game or something, mm. but you know, I mean, there's, there, there's a whole level of like toxic gaming culture as well. Um, which, yeah. which I mean, I could, I could go on like a whole other hours. <laughs> rant well, about I guess that I stuff, was but... the, the video game <laughs> analogy was more to the fact that you're interacting with a real person rather than a yeah. computer construct that, you know, where what you, what you say actually does have real world consequences. Right. So, yeah, but... I mean, like you could, you could be saying something to somebody, it, you know, it's kind of like the, um, like the, I, I don't even want to say like their studies, but just like the different, um, literature that's been put out about, you know, like mental health. Um, you know, that's like another reason that I wanted to, to put that other piece out there, um, for my blog. And like, I, I even struggled, like I, I had, so I had read some different things and, uh, that article was going to be a lot longer. And I was like, you know what, like maybe I'll just like condense it. And then, um, I might like ask some people, um, when I have more guests, like if that's something that they want to talk about, but the whole perspective of, you know, like the, the glamorous lifestyle kind of thing, um, of Instagram. And it's like, and, and I guess it's just social media in general, you know, it's like, you see all this stuff and you're like, wow, these people are living like their best life, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, it could just be that like one backdrop in their house that they cleaned up and then like, they're actually homeless or, you know, they seem like super cheery, but like, you know, their mom's dying of cancer and, mm -hmm. you know, their dad left or something and they've got like three siblings that they have to take care of. And they don't mention any of that because that's not part of their persona mm -hmm. online. So it's like you never really know what anybody else is 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 going through. Um, and so like getting on social media and like understanding that and then seeing how other people interact with each other a lot of times, it's like I I just had to distance myself from most of it so i just kind of hang out on instagram that's it yeah i kind of do the same i do see some people post some somewhat goofy shit but uh, mm -hmm. for the most part it seems like instagram is kind of where you go for art you know whether that yeah. be painting photography modeling uh you know just it seems like twitter is where you go if you just want to argue and say horrible shit yeah Facebook is where you go if you want to post pictures of your family. <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't know. It's been it's been forever since I've been on Facebook. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I kind of dig Instagram. I've met quite a few interesting people, especially uh, writers. Yeah. But uh, actually, to kind of piggyback off of what we've been talking about on one of your uh, episodes, you talked about toxic fandom. And, you know, I'm I'm obviously not well known enough to attract any of that kind of attention. But I was wondering if you had um, ever dealt with any sort of trolling or anything like that related to your projects, whether that be posting things on social media or your blog or your podcast. I know some platforms you can comment. Have you ever? Um, I haven't noticed anything particularly um, on my end. Like, unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't really have too many people that comment on my stuff. Um, I did have, um, most recently I, I, um, made all the episodes, uh, available on like Amazon mm. music and, uh, Apple podcasts and everything. And I think you can leave like comments and stuff like that on Apple podcasts, uh, but I haven't checked any of that. Um, 
I'll probably do more of that this weekend just because I, I have uh I have some more um episodes to repost on like the main um podcast page on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh but I haven't gotten any kind of negative comments or anything um on that. I mean I have like I think the most negative comments that I've gotten um about anything that I've written online has either been, you know, like somebody would get mad at um opinions that I might have on like an anime or or um a film or something and, and they'll be like, well I don't you know I don't agree with that and you're stupid and I'm like look see why why can't it just be construct constructive like I don't agree with that end. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> fucking stupid. Tell me why you don't agree about it. I love having discussions with people that are like I have the complete opposite opinion of this movie than you do. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, like, let me, let me know why you liked it. And then like, I might go back and watch it again and try and view it that way and understand it a different way. Mm. But yeah, I think even if I did have any kind of negative comments or anything, I'd just ignore it. You know, like I'm always looking for something that's constructive. Mm. So like if somebody was going to be like, you know, your show sucks. Okay. Well, then it's not for you. But Mm. if you say your show sucks, cause it's like, uh, I don't like the topics that you talk about because you don't explore them enough or, um, you know, something around those lines or like, you know, I don't like your voice uh, or something, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I know people could be like super toxic, so I'm not too great at it, but, um, yeah, I haven't experienced anything to write home about where I'd be like, man, like I'm going to go to sleep and that one comment's going to stick with me. <laughs> yeah. I think I have comments turned off on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. seems to be from uh, Joe Rogan. He, you know, he's not on YouTube anymore, but when he when he was, he said, yeah, man, I just had to stop looking. It's because it's hard not to react. And once you react, <laughs> they've got you like then you can't stop because it's mm-hmm. like you're conceding. Yeah, uh, you're right. I suck or whatever they said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the times with social media and I know some people probably hate it, but I'll just direct message people uh, mm-hmm. if it's something that I want to comment on. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I don't want to get detracted by somebody else saying just something just completely off the walls mm. and go off the rails, you know? So like a lot of the times when I am looking at the comments, I'm like, just don't, don't comment, don't comment, <laughs> don't mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just read, read through some of the comments that, that are, are grabbing my interest and then just like, get the hell out of there. You know, it's like, it's the comment section, no matter what the content is regardless of whether the the content maker is putting out there, you know, I'd say like eight or nine times out of 10, the content is not what's going to get you in trouble. It's the comment section, which is again, you know, it's just, everybody is just so removed and it's like, you're not, you don't have that face-to-face interaction. So it's like that weird kind of position that social media is in where it's like, yeah, it introduces you to a whole bunch of different people and like all their opinions and everything. But then there's that humanistic factor of like, I'm not actually talking to them directly so I can say whatever I want Mm -hmm. and the consequences don't seem as severe. Well, uh, I guess to kind of redirect it back to, uh, artistic endeavors, um, Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe two or three months ago. I think I watched that movie habit was uh, written, directed by Harry Fessenden. You familiar with him at all? Um, I am not. I know um, when I was on the episode, uh, yeah, one of uh, your Tyler guests, yeah, Tyler guys had had actually has him on his show. Um, Oh wow! He had he had him on one of the episodes of the Tyler guys basement. 
Um, and he was talking to him about the different works that he's done. So, yeah, I watched his movie Habit, and mm-hmm. uh, I was actually blown away by how good the cinematography, directing, editing, and for the most part, I would say the acting was considering the small budget. Mm-hmm. So, what I wanted to know was what is a movie or movies that were low budget that you've really been impressed with, not necessarily so much for the acting, but they were just shot superbly. Cause I know you are kind of a minor in film, right? Right now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I want to even really go as far as to name specific ones, but if anybody is looking for like great low budget, um, either shows because some of them they make a couple different ones and then um, just like different like short films um, both channels Dust um, and Alter um, on YouTube they What's put the out the second one? Uh, the, the second one is Alter um, like, like if you're going to sacrifice yeah like if you're going to sacrifice something on an altar okay. um, and that and so they do it's all independent horror films uh, dust is all independent science fiction films. And there's just like, like if I was going to, um, keep going with film, you know, after I graduate and, and actually just go into film school, that, that would be like what I would be doing. Um, it's like making different, um, shorts, but some of the acting in there and the different, um, films that they have is superb. And, one of the reasons why I always recommend those two channels is a is there a lot of the times they're very low budget films, but because of the time spans that they have, they're like, you know, you, you'll get episodes. Like I think the shortest episode I saw was like three minutes. Um, and then the longest episode that I saw was like, uh, over 45 minutes. Um, but it's like, they're condensing all this stuff and they're telling the story and you're seeing all the different ways that they're making their budget work for them. Um, and they're just done so well. Um, I mean, not all the time, but the majority of the time they're, they're, they're done very well. And it's like, you get the, the actors that you probably never heard of before that are, you know, they'll start out in one and then they'll, you know, you'll go and you'll watch like another one and you're like, Hey, I recognize that person. Like they were in one from, you know, like a year or so ago. And then like, you'll see him in another one. And then like, you know, then you start seeing them more and more and you're like, man, like, you know, they're both good platforms for people that it's like, if you're going into to acting and it's like, you, you want to get out there, those are, um, two channels that you want to be on. And I think like they like, cause I, I had one of the, um, the animators who was on uh, an episode, they featured uh, one of his animated episodes on dust and, um, they reach out to all sorts of, um, you know, independent filmmakers and, um, small film crews and everything. So, I mean, I don't really have any like movie recommendations. I mean, all the low budget movies I generally watch are like, um, super cheesy. Like, uh, Tyler told me about the winter beast, that was on um shutter and that is like if you like claymation and just kind of like what the hell did i just watch films that the winter beast is a good film to watch mm-hmm. um and then of course um you have uh, the human centipede two and three which are just absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i've never absolutely seen any hilarious. of those movies those are those are low oh movies. man 
Uh, I think the first one had like a decent budget, and then like right. it just they were no, they just no. turned into like passion projects. Okay. Yeah, I've honestly I've never seen yeah. one. I didn't even know there was a two and a three. Oh yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I think I've seen the South Park episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of um, I think a lot of like the lower budget stuff that I like is like the twi- like the like the classic Twilight Zone, um, Outer Limits, that kind of stuff. When you start getting like the black and white movies, where it's like mm. back then it might have been like a big budget, but like now it's just it's not. <laughs> mm. It's just um, have so yeah. Been, uh... I mean, definitely check those two channels out on YouTube. Have you seen uh, Climax before, Gasper Noy? I have not. I've not. That um, I mean, I'm sure it had a a, a reasonable budget because he was using professional dancers, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think most of them were uh, not trained actors. Like he just got oh. dancers and got and found uh, one or two or three, I guess, that were oh. just happened to be naturally talented actors. But oh, yeah. it all takes place in this building. That's it. Oh, but wow. it is God, it is shot so well and the storyline is so good and the acting. I can't believe that the main woman in this movie pulled off such a, a great job that she did. Mm-hmm. Um and that was the same with uh Julia de Cornau in uh Titane. I had no idea. I forget her name, the star of the show, she was amazing. They found her on Instagram. It was her first full length feature. Or her, yeah, for her first leading lady full-length feature so wow yeah i mean there's a lot of talent out there you know mm-hmm. which is which is another reason i really like um instagram because there's, there's that whole visual aspect of it it's not so much about what you're reading it's about you know like what they're presenting or some of it can be pretty over the top with like their production value and everything nowadays but um there's a lot of cool actors that are actors and actresses i guess which so is also just... Titan is also on my on my list of films to watch. I wanted to watch. I want to sit down and watch Titan and and um, uh, the other film we were just talking about earlier. Well, we've been talking about a lot of films. Uh, the one that was on Shutter that got taken taken off. Oh, Martyrs. Um, Martyrs yeah. yeah, yeah. I had planned to sit down and watch both of those back to back. That I might need a, a shower after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't um, Martyrs. I would say in the level of extreme violence, I mean, if you didn't need a shower after the sadness, then you'll be fine with martyrs. Because <laughs> the sadness, I mean, even I was like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, so actually, yeah, I, I watched the sadness and then and then I, I went to bed. So yeah. no issue. <laughs> yeah, so you're fine with martyrs. If you can do that, martyrs is a walk in the park. Yeah. But I was going to ask you... Um, with regard to your own uh, writing projects, I was listening to the episode with Alan Baxter and he was talking about one of his writing tricks or maneuvers. When he finishes the first draft, he'll set it aside and he'll go work on some other project. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, he will change, I believe the font size so mm-hmm. that it's the same content, but to his brain, it looks like different content. So he says he's able to, see mistakes and edit better than he would if he hadn't affected the font size. So, uh, in your own writing, do you employ any tricks, maneuvers, tricks of the trade? Yeah. Um, I do a a few of them. Um, and I'm like, I'm super excited to, to start getting back into my writing in a, in a, hopefully a few more terms after things start to hopefully die down. Um, so I'll write it. Like I have, 
quite a few different manuscripts that I've written and they're just set aside for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I do is I try to remember one, the reason I wrote them and then what goes on in them. And I make a film inside my head. Um, so this is more of like a long-term kind of thing for me. I'm a super slow writer. Um, so I'll make a film in my head and then I will think of my story as it is in my head. So when I, I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll circle things that I'm like, this wouldn't fit. Um, because a lot of times when I read, I have that like very vivid visualization, um, of what's going on. So I'll go back and then I'll circle stuff. Um, and then I'll do the same thing. I'll put it on a different font. Um, not so much change the font size, but I might change either the spacing. Um, and then one of the other things I do, uh, which kind of makes me hyper-focused because I hate the, the grainy, um, computer voices, but I'll go chapter by chapter and I'll have my computer read the chapters out to me. And that's a lot of the times how I'll catch, um, if things that's sound really weird and I'll go back and I'll read it out loud and I'll be like, okay, yeah, that does sound weird. And then I'll yeah. circle it and then I'll edit it that way. So, um, I mean, I have one, I have, I have one story that I probably, I'm going to run through one more edit and then that one I'll start shopping that around. Um, but yeah, like I go through all sorts of kind of different editing processes and I think it's, it's, I want to say I have OCD, but it might be of like some kind of like weird ADHD, uh, induced OCD where like I have to continuously go back and edit stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another reason why, like even my blog postings are very inconsistent. Like the, the one I wrote for, um, the platform took me a month and a half to write. Um, and then like I put one out for Ultraman and that took, I think like three weeks for me to put out. So. Yeah. I mean, it just, it depends on, on how deep you want to get into your editing and what works for you. But, um, I was happy when he was explaining how he does his editing that I wasn't the only one that did seemingly odd things, uh, when they're editing, um, it helps. So, okay. so when you say shop around, are you talking about self-publishing or do you mean like you're you're going to put a query letter out there and send some stuff to Simon and Schuster. Uh, I, I I don't know if I, I don't you know if Simon and Schuster like if I, I I don't even think like I could send something to them and they'd even look at it like I suck at writing query letters. Well, um, I imagine but, I imagine some something like Simon and Schuster. You probably yeah. have to have a literary agent, but you know, just yeah. like is that what you were talking about doing with shopping it around to a major publisher or? Um, no. So I, I mean, I, I would definitely just go and try and find an agent. Um, I mean, there are some things that I'm going to self publish. Um, there's a couple shorter stories that I'm working on right now, um, that I'll probably just put up on my, my blog, um, just to give people an idea of like how I write and what kind of things they should um, be looking forward to. Um, but a lot of it is really just, you know, cause I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I've been to conventions and everything and I've talked to different people, but it's like actually going and doing all those things. Um, as far as, you know, getting an agent or self-publishing or any of that kind of stuff, um, it can be pretty daunting. So I think with this one, it's the, 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 the one that I want to start shopping around to agents pretty soon. That one is like a full length. It, it is a full length novel. Um, and then for some of the shorter works that I have, those ones I'll probably try and self-publish. 
Um, but then that's just a matter of personal funds. It's like, do I have enough money to do that right now? No. Um, so the agent is probably like the best way to go for me. The, um, the one you're talking about, that's a full length novel that you want to shop okay. around. What, uh, genre would you call oh, it? It's a, uh, it's supernatural horror. Supernatural um, horror. one of my friends was saying that like, I could probably even say that it's like, um, like spiritual horror. Like it has, a, it, it is very like, it is a lot of the things that like I've learned along the way of being like Pentecostal. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, Christian mythology in it. There's a lot of, um, African and Greek mythology in it. Um, it explores the afterlife a lot. So, um, the whole premise is like this guy, um, he kills himself, uh, in the beginning of the book and it takes place in like the book is called the first five seconds and it takes place in between, um, the time where like he's actually dying to the time where like he is now in like a hundred percent in the spiritual realm mm -hmm. and he's just touring hell the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's kind of like the, um, the prequel to the rest of your existence kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just all his experiences and what he's going through. So it's interesting. pretty, uh, I feel it's pretty out there. Um, I had a lot of like, you know, I, I started writing it when uh, I was trying to find other books that were like Silent Hill. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that video game franchise, but um, if not my favorite franchise, it, it is one of my favorite franchises. And it's just at least like the first four games are super solid and just like messed up. And then like the second one is like a lot of people's favorite one. Um, and I don't know if you ever saw Jacob's Ladder at all. Mm, yes. Um, but the second game is heavily based off of that. Like they drew a lot of inspiration from that film, uh, when they made the second game. So I was like, you know, if there's not any other books that are like that out there that just play with all these different kind of aspects and, and writing, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do it and hope people like it when it comes out. Nice. So would you say that it's, uh, I mean, you say it's pretty out there. When you say supernatural fiction, you're not talking like Dean Koontz. You're talking about a little more extreme. Yeah. I mean, there's some extreme, there's a lot of extreme violence in there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like dimensional shifts and like weird, um, point of views. Like there's one section where I'm seamlessly writing four different point of views. Oh, okay. Um, and it's, it's confusing. Like you have to take your time and actually like break it down and read it um, over and over. And I like purposely put it that way. Um, so there's a lot of things that like in other books, people are like, don't do like, don't do these things. And I'm like, I'm going to try it. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. That's, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask. Who was it? Alan Baxter. Mm -hmm. He was talking about how, you know, I don't know if you would relate your book as being dark fiction or not, but dark fiction, some of the more abstract avant-garde type stuff is kind of a niche genre. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're looking, you know, on websites like Amazon for something to read, you're probably going to come across a lot of really good stuff that's going to have three stars or less or whatever metric they're using. So yeah. do you think there's a novel way, no pun intended, of uh, <laughs> <laughs> marketing content like that to where, you know, the people that want the content will find it? Because, I mean if the mass majority of the mainstream just isn't into that, it makes it kind of hard for the people that are into it to find it. I think it's just a matter of making people aware of it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. like 
a lot of the advertising um, that people do now isn't even so much from the author. You know, it's from the author interacting with other people, but also making them aware of like, hey, like my book is out or I have a new podcast episode out or, um, you know, just like commenting on people's stuff, um, you know, which that can in itself be a full time job, you know, going on and interacting with people. Um, but I think the one of the most important things is, as far as writing goes, and I, I think just for any kind of medium is not like don't just create content and just expect everybody is going to like find it and love it. Um, you know, even like when I look like sometimes like, you know, I'm right about to hit 250 listens, um, on the episodes that I put out so far, which like a lot of people say like, Oh, that's not much. But like if I was in a room and there's 250 people and they were all listening to me speak on a subject, like that's a lot of people, you know? So, um, I think one of the, the important things is just, making sure that people are aware that you're putting content out before it's actually out um, and talking about it and getting um, the different kinds of dialogue going. And then, you know, once it's out, I, you know, I feel like it's more just like a word of mouth thing, you know, like, so like, like even what you're saying, I mean, you know, there's plenty of like two and three star books that are out there that um, are really good. It's just, they're not hitting their target audience. Mm-hmm. And, Again, that comes back to like, you know, the constructive comments. I I think if more people put time into their comments as far as like, oh, well, this book sucked or like this was the most wretched book I've ever read. It's just like, well, why? Maybe Mm -hmm. somebody is looking for that like over the top violent book that makes you, you know, feel like you need to take like an Epsom salt bath and like peel your, your flesh off to, and like get like a new layer of skin or something, or, you know, like, or or maybe there's that book where it's just like, it's so fluffy and full of like, you know, happy emotions or whatever that it's like people are, you know, some people could be put off by like a, a, a really like happy go lucky kind of story. Maybe that's something that somebody really needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that, um, you know, like getting people aware of stuff, whether it be my content or anybody else's, a lot of it is, is being intentional, not only for the creator, but people that are, are giving that feedback as well. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, if you have an agent, I mean, I would hope that part of their job would, you know, entail that they're also helping to boost, um, some, I won't want to say relevancy, but they're boosting the awareness of the work that somebody is putting out. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I want to just, I mean, I know some, uh, some authors and some artists do do this, but I mean, they already have that gigantic following, but when you're first starting out, you know, like I, I wouldn't get my book picked up by an agent and then have them shop it around to get published, have it get published. And then on like the day it gets published, be like, Hey, y'all, I have a book out. Like, no, like I'm talking about it. I mean, I'm talking about one of them now, you know, I've been talking about for a couple of years, um, which is how long it's been taking me to like edit and everything um but just to like be like oh yeah like i have i have a new film out today and it's just like well okay you told everybody online but only like five people saw it Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) so it's like is anybody gonna see your stuff no is it really good possibly but like no one knows (laughs) so so yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of factors that are, are involved in stuff like that so yeah i mean he definitely hit it on the head when he was talking about how to you know, how to market stuff and how to get content out there. So 
Well, so we know a lot about your writing and podcasting. Do you dabble in any other artistic mediums like painting, play an instrument, anything like that? Um, no, I mean, I had wanted to play the guitar when I was younger. I think a lot of people did. But again, like, you know, I grew up listening to metal music kind of like in and hiding kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I yeah. remember, like, I would listen to Nine Inch Nails a lot because I love like the way that um, Trent Reznor layered a lot of his earlier music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like love the complexity of it that I never really like paid attention to the lyrics. I was just paying attention to like how he put everything together. Um, and I would listen to other, you know, um, industrial and metal artists or that were out there in that time, but I always got grounded for it. Um, and I remember like one time my dad like came in and like, he just uh, like unplugged my stereo and like, I don't know if he threw it away or what he did, but he was like, nope. He's like, you're not listening to this stuff. You know, there's like that weird fear of, you know, there's that whole stigma of, uh, you know, a lot of kids after Columbine that it's like, if you're going to listen to that kind of, you know, darker kind of music that you were going to become like some like druggie or like shoot up a school or something. So like that whole thing never really flew off. Um, and we had neighbors and everything, so like they didn't want to hear some kid trying to practice playing the guitar. Yeah. Um, and I did, uh, I did dabble a little bit in synthesizers. So it's like I can play some stuff. Um, I'm pretty sucky at reading sheet music. Like I can do it. Um, it just I have to read it and then like play afterwards. Like I can't just sit there and like some people can have like the whole thing and they're just playing everything or like they know where all the keys are and everything. Like if I had practice more. I think I could play an instrument. Um, but as far as like other hobbies and stuff, um, you know, I, I just play a lot of video games <laughs> mm-hmm. when I can. I mean, I don't really have the time to do that right now. Like I have games from like PlayStation four that are still in the wrapper. And like, I have like games from like PS five that I haven't touched yet. Um, I did at one point have some times or some different games that were like from like Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 that I didn't touch. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I just, I just don't have the time or whatever, but, um, I can draw some pretty badass stick figures. So if anybody's looking for some, some stick figure work, you know, <laughs> I can put some solid lines together with some circles. Do you get and... <laughs> exclusive rights to it? Like, do you get that signed over? Oh, the, the stick figures? Yeah. Man, do you, um, or do you retain hopefully. some rights? Right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I get some kind of, uh, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Do, yeah. do I do I get exclusive <laughs> rights if I buy the stick figure? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll I'll sell some some stick figure art to people. You know, get some get some cool like battle scenes going. You know, I'm maybe for maybe fighting like a artwork. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll get I'll get right to work on it after this All episode. Right, I'll get some some nice um, collages of of stick figures and and you know. Maybe they're in like a boiling pot, you know, the witch is brewing their tea with, you know, many stick figure people and they're going to make stick figure soup. (laughs) But yeah, uh, I mean, really, you know, I I go like, I go bike riding. I I used to do like BMX stuff and like the tricks and all that kind of stuff. But um, I never got to the point where like I was going to the X Games or something. I think like people that are into that kind of stuff maybe that's something that they're always kind of in the back of their head. They're like, yeah, I'm going to be like the next Tony Hawk or whatever. And I'm definitely showing my age. Cause I know there's, there's probably people that are way better than Tony Hawk now. Oh yeah. <laughs> I couldn't that. tell you who those are. Cause I'm even older than you. <laughs> Tony yeah. Hawk was so <laughs> when I was growing up, that's who you wanted to aspire to be as someone, you know, 
What's the guy Trent. on uh, Ridiculousness? What's his name? Ridiculousness. That oh, MTV man. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with the shoe guy, Rob something. Deer Deck. Yeah. Rob, Rob Deer Deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him skate. I know he is or was at least a badass. I don't know how he measured up to Tony Hawk, but. Maybe he was one in, the, in one of the video games or something. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I do, I do enjoy watching the X Games when I can get it from time to time. But like, it generally, just turns into background noise. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like to if I had more free time, I would definitely say that I, I would want to explore. Um, like, I've always wanted to work on video games, so it's like I follow, I follow like Unreal Engine and Quixel and stuff like that, and like I've dabbled a little bit in like you know um, simple room designs and character designs and stuff, but it's nothing where like. You know, like I am perfectly fine um, being experimental um, and, you know, putting up the blog posts and, and understanding how to write better that way and getting the feedback and um, having a podcast that, you know, like none of that stuff is absolutely like consistent. Um, but it's like I'm learning and, you know, like I hope, you know, it's helping other people um you know, see different points of view and uh, what people are doing. But I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to put any of like my Unreal Engine work out there, and people would be like, "What is this crap?" <laughs> it's like I wouldn't spend, you know, it's not even anything that's like playable. You know, it's just like this is it'd be like little snippets of like this is what I'm working on. But like the people that I've, I, some of the people that I follow that like do that stuff, and like I watch them, and I'm like, how are they not like working for somebody? And they're just like putting out all these like crazy artworks in in these. Um, like different kind of level designers and animation generators and everything. So um, we'll see. I think I'd have a different answer to that question in another like four or five years when I get like more of my time back to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So like with what you described as far as synthesizer and all that, where did writing evolve from? Like what was the first novel you ever read? Um, so the first novel that I ever read um was probably some shitty school book <laughs> to be, I, rem to be I remember honest. mine it was the client by john grisham <laughs> oh man that's well that the first one that that stood out to me um it's funny you bring this up because it's something i'm writing about in my next uh blog post is battle royale um by koshun takami and that was probably i want to say seventh grade um and I hid away in a corner. I was playing uh, Sensucht by Ramstein. The whole album had that thing on repeat on my awesome Discman. Amazing German pronunciation, <laughs> by the way. You just nailed that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've taken German for, for a few years, so hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was listening to that, and uh, I like... I there's like these bookshelves in the back of the classroom. And I found a way that if I moved them, even if people were sitting there, they wouldn't know I was sitting there. Mm -hmm. And for two days straight, I sat down in the class. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like a 668 pages or somewhere around there. It's a pretty decently chunky book. Um, and so for two days, I just sat there listening to that album and repeat and, and reading um, Battle Royale. And that was like the catalyst. Um, and, you know, I, 
I don't really know where like the extreme horror and all that stuff came from as far as like reading and everything kind of just though I think those were things that just like fascinated me when I was growing up because they were taboo um so it's like I couldn't bring that stuff in the house um that was going to be I my couldn't... next question was literature censored as well <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah like video video games films literature yeah. like all that stuff it was different too growing up um a lot of the times like i wasn't even interested in writing or anything like i i was like super big into nature and like i still am but like um i would spend tons of time outside you know i would find like i'd go and i'd catch like snapping turtles in the creeks um, and I'd find like different kinds of snakes and stuff and like, oh, like, climbing trees. Like I would get in trouble a lot for being outside like way longer than somebody should have. Um, <laughs> but I think that was a, a lot of kids were like that when I was growing up. So it's it just kind of like a different time. Um, and so a lot of, uh, my interest in like film and reading and everything didn't really start kicking in until, um, high school when I moved out of my parents' house and started like exploring more of the things that I was interested in. Um, but yeah, I remember I was freaking out cause like I wasn't allowed to play Resident Evil, um, mostly just because of the name and you know my parents walked in and they're sitting there and they're watching me play this game and you know it's super cheesy like resident evil is a very cheesy game you know especially back then it's just it's like bloxy pixelated looking zombies and everything and you're just like running around blasting them and trying to get like the the three pieces of the the, the key together so you can get in the door or like the key card or something and like they're sitting there and they're watching it. And I'm like, at that point, you know, it's like, I'm already caught. And I was like, I'm not going to get up and just like turn it off real quick because they're going to know that like I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. And so like, I just kept playing and they're like, what are you playing? And I was like, Oh, I'm playing, um, biohazard, which is the, the, I don't know if they, they still go by it. I think they just switched it to Resident Evil, but it used to be the, uh, the name, the Japanese name for, for Resident Evil was biohazard. And so they like sat there and then they're just like, ah, this is pretty interesting. And again, you know, I think that's one of those things where, um, you know, growing up in the church, people have like these weird, like preconceived ideas about everything. Um, the, the church so. you grew up in, did they have this like just insane aversion to Dungeons and Dragons? Cause I never played Dungeons and Dragons cause I was not even allowed to get close to that game. For some reason they thought playing Dungeons and Dragons was the same as sacrificing a baby to the devil. <laughs> oh so, yeah you're going to like the deepest layer of hell and like yeah satan is gonna like rip out your he's gonna like sodomize you and rip your I, intestines i don't know out and put what in. about that game everybody because i mean i, th I think when i look magic. at it now what's that yeah I, I i think it's the whole thing with like the, the whole magic system right because they didn't like the card game mat like the the three main things they didn't like magic the gathering was like a taboo um mm -hmm. super big taboo um was that the same time as dungeons and dragons yeah i think they've both been out equally i mean like okay. dungeons and dragons is like the tabletop to game and then you have like you know the magic the gathering is just the card card game card game um and then like games like final fantasy anything where there was like a high level of like magic involvement was just like taboo so I mean, like they, I'm pretty sure, you know, like people, when Harry Potter came out, they probably, they were probably ripping their hair out. Like your kids are going to go to hell mm -hmm. reading this terrible stuff. <laughs> well, it's funny back in the day, meditation used to be considered like channeling spirits or whatever and opening yourself up, 
you're like, mm-hmm. I guess because if you do like mindfulness meditation, you're focused on your breath. So therefore yeah. you're no longer focused on God. So you're leaving yourself vulnerable to demonic mm-hmm. attack. But things have changed now. Like my, my own mother is always asking me, oh, so you, you did that float tank thing? You know, mm-hmm. the, the pods where you get in and float in the Epsom salt water and asking me about just meditation in general. It's like there's been this paradigm shift where now all of a sudden meditation somehow can exist with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like evangelical Christianity. So it's yeah, how that stuff changes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was that was it's interesting that you bring that up because that that was something um when I walked away from you know when I was just like screw it like I'm not a Christian or anything like that you know and so it's like now now it's like if somebody asks I would say like yeah I am a Christian um and like you know I try to be I try to focus on more of the like the whole like you know treat everybody equal be kind to everybody like I don't care what kind of lifestyle you live like you're still a person mm-hmm. um because you know, at the end of the day, um, most Christian faiths, you know, they're supposed to be walking in the path of Jesus and everything. So it's like, he wouldn't judge you based on, you know, if you're straight, gay, black, white, doesn't matter. Like he just cares about like who you are as a person. Mm. Um, so that like that kind of stuff just really stuck with me. But as far as like, um, you know, just like all the other kinds of things that happen in the Bible and you see how like people were possessed and everything. It's like, they weren't meditating. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, they would bring that point up every now and then I'm just like, well, you don't need to meditate to be possessed. Like Mm. you could be taking a dump or like, you know, sleeping or, you know, like at work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like if that, is going to happen then it's going to happen kind of thing so it's like i I think people there's like that weird like fear-mongering part of of it where it's like even if you were going to say like you can't really like historically maybe like the bible is inaccurate or like you can't cite everything from it like uh, as far as like an academic source there's still things in there that it's just like if you want to talk about like possession like it doesn't say anywhere in the bible like don't meditate because like you're going to get possessed by demons and god's going to send you to hell like it doesn't say that anyway (laughs) so it's like i I think a lot of this is just man-made proscriptions against different things yeah so i mean i mean i've done meditation before but um i think my severe adhd doesn't let me do that because even when i'm trying to meditate there is still the moments of piece of candy I, my meditation practice is very sporadic, but when I get into it, I really get into it. And I would venture to say with some certainty that I did have a genuine jhana experience, which is nothing supernatural. It's just a very, uh, a state of extreme bliss you can get in when you get into a deep meditative state. It was about, I was at the time I was doing it an hour a day. And so about 30 minutes into it, I just, but the problem is, is once you engage with it, instead of just letting it happen, then it goes away. So I felt it very briefly, but when I did, it was fucking amazing. So I wish I could stick with it, but I just get so, like you said, ADHD, just like, I feel like there's this clock ticking and it's gone down all the way to the last minute. Now it's just the seconds ticking away. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just need to learn to relax. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean my i think my biggest thing outside of that is just like i could never understand meditation like i took um i think i, I took taekwondo for three years something like that um and what it was before i did uh i think it was like on my way to like a green belt or something okay. i don't know not, nothing too extreme 
Um, but uh, I mean, it, I probably I would have made it to a black belt if I if somebody had told me about UFC. I mean, I would have. I, I would have made probably life, made it but... to a black belt if I hadn't shattered my knee into three pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the story, God. the stories people don't talk about until you I get know. to like the, the the main major times. But uh, yeah, uh, we used to do uh, meditation uh, when I was taking Taekwondo, and uh, there were a couple times that I got in trouble because I fell asleep. <laughs> well, you know, if you're t- yeah. if you're tired, that'll happen. Yeah. I took uh intro to Zen meditation at the uh the Zen Center and uh I went there a few times after work where I hadn't gotten that much sleep mm-hmm. and I remember I was uh I was on a Seiza bench so I was in a kneeling position and mm-hmm. Zen meditation at least Soto Zen meditation you face the wall so that all external stimuli is blocked out and you're not technically supposed to close your eyes you're supposed to leave them kind of cracked uh, but I kept like nodding off and bumping my head into the wall <laughs> and making this <laughs> this loud noise. And you know, there's probably like ten other people in the zendo with me. But you yeah, know, yeah. they're they're all experienced. They're probably so far into a meditative state they didn't notice. But the abbot, this woman named Galen, I was telling her about it. She's like, I, I feel like I that was a wasted session because I kept nodding off. She's like, No, no, that's just a very soft meditation. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, All right, okay, soft. Well, I'll take there you it. Go. Some some progress is better than no progress, I suppose, yeah. right? Well, uh, just to kind of wind things down, I suppose, since we're coming mm-hmm. up on the two-hour mark here. Uh, yeah. It's been good talking to you. Do you have any uh, anything you want to plug? Obviously, you've got two blog posts up uh, within, what, the last couple of weeks, I think. Hot off the presses. Yeah, so I got I got a couple um I got those couple blog posts going. Um I think the most recent one is about the sadness. If you if you are listening to this episode and you haven't um guessed it already, I really like that movie. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so it it's is, on it Shutter. Go ahead and watch that. Mm-hmm. Um I do have a couple more blog posts coming out. One of them is a bit more serious. Um it talks about um just kind of some of the things that I've been going through uh as far as like, you know, creativity and then like how expensive everything has gone um like i put a like i i was struggling with it for a while and i don't really promote it but i do have a a, a ko-fi page um which is like a donation kind of thing and uh so i have something going up on there right now i don't think anybody has ever is really donated but i, I don't um partially just because I, i've had a hard time keeping up on it um but it's open it's up to the goal for that is a thousand dollars um but that is specifically um, I don't know if anybody is familiar, um, with some of the Instagram videos that I put out where it's called generic hot book stuff. Um, and I am working on trying to figure out a good time of when I can bring that show back. Um, cause I really enjoyed doing that, but I'll either eat either kind of like a hot food or like, um, you know, like a spicy challenge or a hot sauce or something. And the whole time that I'm, you know, writhing in pain, um, I'm talking about different books um, and the horror genre. So, uh, that's something that I am going to be bringing back. And then, um, the blog post is going to be talking about, um, the future plans for, uh, the podcast, uh, the blog and, uh, all the other different kind of writing endeavors that I have. So I have that one. And then, um, I will, I'm working on something right now, probably going to be reaching out to some various folks. Um, but I'm going to be doing a, probably like a, uh, at least a three, maybe four part, uh, blog post and the same kind of, um, kind of 
research heavy uh blog post about uh the alien films and the different um video games and, and films that the alien franchise has uh influenced over the years so um i'm pretty close to getting part one of that out um yeah so i i would say just keep a keep a close eye out on the blog page uh nothing extensive on uh the podcast for right now just because i don't have any any free time or I shouldn't say I don't have free time. I have free time when I'm driving home, which I guess is... You need to do. You need to get one of those mobile setups and just have the ambient traffic noise in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Generic, rush hour generic. Yeah. So, um, yes, I would say for right now, yeah, just keep an eye out on the blog. Um, I'm going to be putting out some pretty cool content there Um, sporadically. I mean, nothing is on a schedule right now, you know, since I'm working about 65 hours a week. Um, going to school full time. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my time has been Hashtag eating up in that, balls so. to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for, yeah, for right now, uh, writing on the, cause I, I, I do, um, so all of, uh, the stuff that you see on the blog has been done. Like I do everything on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I write everything on my phone. I edit everything. I do all like the pictures and everything, like everything is done on my phone. Um, and so that's like really the only thing I have time for right now is like, uh, I might do, I might read like a book on Kindle. Um, but I, it's like five to 10 pages at a time. Um, or like I'll go to the bathroom on company time. Um, so I can, um, work on my blog post or something, but like if I do one thing, it's always creative as far as what I want to do. It's always cutting into the time of my schoolwork, mm-hmm. um, or, or my jobs. So, um, writing right now the little blog post is is about as much time free time as i have um and then uh yeah if, if anybody else wants uh I, I guess if anybody else wants to invite me on their podcast the best thing to do is just to to reach out so i can like plan way ahead of time like i, th- I think this this one we planned what almost about two months month in ago. advance a month ago or month something, and like a half. Yeah, yeah, so. something like that yeah so like i said basel walls <laughs> full, full schedule so uh, I, I graduate uh, later this year so hopefully that'll alleviate some of the pressure and I'll have a little bit more time to do other things so but thanks for having me man it's been a blast oh, thanks for being on the show all links mentioned are in the description and generic I will see you next time alright you have a good one